You know, the Bible is filled with mystery. Sometimes it seems very straightforward when you read it. You read it and go, oh, that makes sense. But then there are other things that kind of stand out. They jump off the page and go, what is that? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, listen to what the Word of God says. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking. Now, it's so unusual, it's so different, because you can hear people walking, you can hear voices, but this says something quite different. This says they heard the voice of the Lord God walking. Now, the word there is the word memra, and memra, let me give you what that means. It is a sound that comes from all directions at the same time. If you've ever felt like God spoke to you, either through the Word of God or through the Spirit of God, you felt like it was, it was very clear, very distinct. It was God. It might have been a gentle nudge. It might have been what seemed like loud sounds, you know, reverberating in your heart. But this concept of memory, imagine a voice that comes at you from all directions. Typically, when we hear a voice, we turn in the direction of the voice to tune in on that voice. The same thing's true of God's light. The Bible says that God dwells in a light that has no shadows. So every angle, it is complete brilliance, complete light, intrinsic light. And so it is with the voice of God. In Exodus chapter 4 and verse 8, when Moses is trying to understand his place in the kingdom and how God's going to use him in the land of Egypt, listen to what it says. When he asked the question, like, who's going who's gonna to believe that I really came from you? He said, if they do not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, they will believe the voice of the latter sign. So God described those signs, those wonders that Moses did in Egypt as the voice. It's a mystery, isn't it? Because we think of a voice just like you're hearing me. But think about the voice as the presence of God. Have you ever noticed whenever you get away from God, you try to silence that voice? You silence it by not coming to church. You think that helps. You silence it by other things or by maybe blaming God, excusing God for something, but the voice never really goes away. It might be muted at a time or it might be soft at a time, but it's still there nonetheless. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word. Here's the concept, memra. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him. Without him, not one thing came into being. We talk about this complex doctrine called Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We can all say those words. But to try to wrap our head around what that means is quite different, isn't it? Think about this, that the eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in one being, always was. That means in the beginning was the Son of God, was the Spirit of God, was the Father. It was the Son of God that took on human flesh roughly 2,000 years ago. But it was the Son of God in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. You see, many times God would make his presence known or he would become almost tangible, if not tangible, in that place. He's sometimes referred to as the angel of the Lord. 
It's interesting, the angel of the Lord with that definite article never appears after Jesus is born because he's here. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. You see how this voice is playing through Scripture? That, That phrase is used about 450 times in the Bible. In Revelation 1.12, it says, and I turned to see the voice that spoke to me. You would think he would say to hear the voice, but he says to see the voice. Because you see, Jesus is the manifestation. He is a reality of Almighty God. When Philip said, show us the Father and that'll be enough, he said, if I've been with you so long, Philip, and you don't know me, he who has seen me has seen the Father. You see, this God encounter is what Christianity is all about. Yes, it's an ethical system that makes our life better and richer and blesses other people, but that really is only secondary to the first and the primary reason, and that is that we encounter God. And then when we encounter God, we are so, it's so attractive to us because we're created in his image. And we want to be more like him. The more we understand him, the more we draw into him, the more we see him, the more we want to be like him. And we want to be less like us. This is the concept of Memra, the voice. Imagine right now you have a voice of God and he's speaking to you in every direction. What's he saying? There's also other voices in the world. There's the voice of the enemy. People ask me all the time, how do I know the difference between God's voice, my voice, and Satan's voice? We're going to talk about that. But let's look at the voice of the enemy. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Now the serpent, this is where you all boo, was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, they haven't been in the garden very long, it appears, and all of a sudden there is this attack, there is this temptation that comes from the serpent who is Satan. And the first thing he does, he questions, has God really spoken? It's the same response you get from people when you say what the Bible says, and then they will reply something like this, yeah, I know, but that was a long time ago. Or don't you think it needs to be made culturally relevant? If it were a book written by man, I would agree with you. Now, they've tried to do that with Shakespeare. It doesn't come off right. Well, the Bible doesn't come off right when men try to change it. In fact, the Bible even warns us many, many times that anyone who takes away or adds to the Word of God, their name will be taken from the book of life. I say to you that, that when you, take, you can take away from it by simply saying, that's not for me. It's deeper than trying to change the Bible. It really says, no God for me. No word of God for me. That doesn't apply to me. I like everything but this verse or that verse. The woman said to the serpent, first mistake she made was talking to the serpent. See, when you get in a dialogue with the enemy, you're already on the wrong track. Your dialogue is supposed to be with God, the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit of God, not to the devil. It's a good lesson to learn. A lot of people say, well, I just want to know everything about the devil so I can fight him. No, learn everything about God. Don't study the counterfeit. Study the real thing. Amen? 
So the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it. True statement, right? The next one was not true, nor shall you touch it lest you die. God never said you can't touch it. You see, the effect of the enemy was already playing out in her life. Because when she began a dialogue with the enemy, all of a sudden, things started happening in her mind that would result in, a, in her volition, her choice, to reject God. You don't entertain, when the moment you entertain these things, ever notice how you entertain something? You play out scenarios that are not positive, not good, not godly. It does affect you even though you don't carry it out. Because you see, your mind is where it all starts, right? So mind, will, and emotions. We hear and we respond to things in the world through our five senses. So if I take something into my mind, my mind then has to choose to turn it over to my will. And when I make a decision in my will or my volitional choice, then guess what? My emotions follow. That's why people, when they say, well, I'm just an emotional person, I said, no, you, you, your mind started that way. You made a choice that you're going to be emotional, and that was a result of it. See, it all goes back to this. Why do you think the Bible says we need to renew our minds? We need to have transformed minds because our mind gets full of junk, right? I heard people say, you Christians are all brainwashed. I said, amen. Our brain needs a good scrubbing, amen? I don't know about you, but man, I, you know, my mind goes place to go, Phil, come back. Now, don't look at me like you're spiritual. You know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> then, the woman, then the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. Now, what does he do? He's, now he's, first of all, he, he's, he's twisting this. He's saying God didn't really say that. Now he says, no, God did say that, but you won't. You see the two different ways that Satan works? One is to deny the word, and one is to twist the word. And so when you twist the word to make it convenient, all of a sudden you're going down the path that's going to lead you to nowhere. He goes on to say, for God knows that the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. That's true. And you will be like God. That's not. Knowing good and evil. That's true. You see how Satan works? He works in half-truths and half of the truth, and he twists truth, to get you going down the wrong road. That's why when you read the Word of God, a lot of people like to read the Word of God through in a year, and I think that's great. The problem is you're probably reading so fast you're not slowing down long enough to know what it says. So read it through if you want, but then spend some time and just read it. If you just take that passage and say, okay, what does it say? God knows the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open. True. Be like God. False. Knowing good and evil. True. And I'm going through this process, and I'm really, I'm trying to examine, said, God, okay, when I read the Word of God, let me read all of the Word of God. Let me take it all in, make the application of my life so that I can be strong. So the woman, what did she do? She saw the tree was good for food. She looked at it, she goes, you know what? That looks like pretty good food. Now, I don't know how many trees were in the garden, but I'm going to assume there are a lot of trees in the garden. And there was only one tree she couldn't eat from. Have you ever noticed how you want the one thing you can't have? Come on now. I want that. You can't have that. I mean, just play this game with your, if you have a child or a grandchild. I want that. No, you can't have that. Pouting, crying, screaming, whatever they want to do to respond, right? 
Where did they come up with that? Romans 5 says that sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and therefore all men sinned. You see, you are, you are a sinner by your nature, by your birth, and by your choice. You don't have to learn how to sin. You came out an expert. You just need to get the words, right, to really express it and say, this is what I am. That's why the Bible says, train up a child in the way they shall go. Why do I need to do that? Because they're sinners by their birth. Now, it's hard to look at little Leo and think he's a sinner, but he is. He looks innocent. He's not. Just wait till all that manifests, brother. Amen? Right now, he's cute. He's walking around. Just wait till he's about 15, and, and then we'll look in, in Drew's eyes and see what he says. I don't, know what, what, I don't know what to do with Leo. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise. Now, she's falling into three different sins here. Every sin falls into these three categories, okay? And we're going to look at that in 1 John in just a moment. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, the question is, why is he silent when she's dialoguing with the serpent? She's, the, Paul says in Timothy, the woman was deceived. Doesn't say the man was deceived. The man was just dumb. Come on, ladies, give me a little, a little help there. And so she said, oh, you know, why don't you have this? Now, I don't know how long it was between she ate, when she ate, and he ate. I think it was about 1,000 years. I think she wore him down. I think first it was the apple. He said no. Then it came apple crisp and apple pie. Next thing you know, he goes, okay, I give up. I'm in. Now, it's not theological provable, you understand, right? But notice what happened. What was the result? Then the eyes of both of them were opened. Open to what? Evil. Their fallenness. Their inadequacy. Their weaknesses. Their struggles. Everything became evident. See, before that, they were in a period of innocence, a state of innocence. They, had, they weren't righteous and they weren't unrighteous. They were really in a neutral setting. They could choose life or they could choose death. In some ways, we're in that setting every day, aren't we? I get to choose life or I get to choose death. And so notice what they did. And they knew that they were naked. What a revelation. We're in the garden. There's nobody here but a bunch of animals. And our first realization is we have no clothes on. Now, in today's world, somebody's walking down the street with no clothes on. It's very noticeable. It's very standout-ish because there's other people. But what did they do? They took fig leaves and they covered themselves with the fig leaves. You know, whenever the Bible has reference to like a tree or a plant, it's not arbitrary. It's very intentional. Do you realize the fig tree, now get this, this is really powerful. This will give you help in all your study throughout the Word of God. The fig tree is a picture of Israel in rebellion against God. Remember what was the tree that Jesus cursed? I'm going to give you a hint. It starts with an F, ends with a G. The fig tree, right? And Israel, in its righteousness, is always portrayed as an olive tree. So what did they do? They took 
rebellion, unrighteousness, and they made these fig leaves to cover themselves because they were going to cover their sin with an unrighteous act and thought that that was going to get it done. They were going to try to cover everything up. The voice of the enemy, what does it sound like? Well, first of all, the, the voice always questions the word of God. If somebody you know is talking to you about the word of God and they're, and they're questioning the word of God, that's the first sign that the enemy is speaking. I don't care how good a friend they are, I don't care who they are, that the enemy is speaking. If they question, say, no, that's not the word of God, or I don't believe all of it's the word of God. The second thing that happens is it confuses your mind. Whenever the enemy is speaking, you'll find yourself like torn between two opinions. You'll find yourself going like, I'm not sure what I should do. Because the enemy, he can, he can attack your mind, but he cannot attack your heart and your spirit. That's preserved for God. Just like me, I can speak to your mind, but, I, but it takes what I say to you in your mind to be transferred into your spirit by the Holy Spirit. That's your protection. He also forces a decision. Whenever the enemy's working, he's trying to force you into decision. I always say he likes to nag. Come on, hurry up. Are you going to do that? 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 And then finally, you just kind of buckle down and you use this, this strong self-will and said, I'm doing it. I'll make this decision myself. And I'll tell you, most of the time, when you get that attitude, you've made the wrong decision. We have a a little term that we use around the office and at home. It's called let things simmer a little bit. Just because you think you want to do something, put it on the back burner, turn the heat down low, and wait. It's like sending an email. Have you ever sent an email and you regretted it? Huh? Right? I should have let that one simmer overnight. There's a great principle in life, and that is write your criticism in sand and your compliments in granite. He also promises freedom from God. You're going to be like God. If you will just eat from this tree, if you will just listen to me, you're going to have all this freedom from God. God is a killjoy. God doesn't want you to have happiness. God, just, There goes Leo, the little sinner right there. Look at him. Look how cute he is. Huh? Like showing him off, yeah. You just wait. All right. It's not just him, it's all the babies. Don't worry about it. You, he's got a good crowd to, to hang out with. But freedom from God. I don't need God in my life. Why do I need God in my life? I can't tell you how many times people have told me, I don't need God. Why do I need God? I got health, I got wealth, and they, I've got friends, I got family, and they'll go through this long list of things why they don't need God. Where does that come from? It comes from the enemy. They're just quoting Satan. That's all they're doing. And, and this idea of self-righteousness, see, I'm good. No, you're not good. You just think you're good. You know, the, the first step in, in kind of reality is figure out that you're not God. The position's filled. Amen? Now look at, remember I told you every sin falls into these three categories. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Now this is talking about the world system. This is not talking about trees and bees and dogs and all those things. 
If anyone loves the world, that is the world system, the love of the Father is not in him. So you can't love the world and its systems and love the Father at the same time. You can only love one or the other. For all that is in the world, and here are the three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Every sin you'll ever commit will fall into one of those three categories. You can make it even simpler. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Every sin you commit will be a violation of either loving God or loving your neighbor or loving yourself. What, what happens when I don't love myself? Then I try to hurt myself. So well, are we supposed to love ourselves? Yes, you're supposed to love yourself. If you don't know how to love yourself, you can't love your neighbor. If you don't know how to love God, you, then you don't know how to love yourself, don't know how to love your neighbor. So everything diminishes. This is not this narcissistic kind of love me and I'm great. This is the kind of love that says, I appreciate that I am a creation of God, uniquely made by God, Imperfect though I am, I'm loved by God, and I'm in his image. And it goes on to say, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So he says, the, 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 the argument from logic here would be, why would you hold on to something that's going to disappear? Why not hold on to something that's going to last forever? That's why the, the whole argument of lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, why? Because it can't be stolen, it can't be diminished, it can't rot or rust in heaven. He's not condemning laying up treasures on earth as long as you put it in balance with heaven. There's also the voice of his presence, and this is where we started Genesis 3, 8 and 10. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. What a strategy. I'll just hide in the woods. How about this statement? You know, I just don't go to church. I don't believe in all that stuff. I just go into nature because that's where I really find God. Yeah, that's what Adam did. <laughs> do you get naked too, or what do you do there? <laughs> By the way, I was in Louisiana for a while, and I learned the difference between two words. There's two words. One's naked, and then there's naked. <laughs> one's with an A, one's with an E. Now, naked is when you have no clothes on. Naked is when you have no clothes on, and you're up to no good. Both are not helpful in this setting, all right? All right. So now they're hiding among the trees, and the Lord God said to Adam and, and said, where are you? Now, it wasn't that he didn't know where they were. He wanted them to acknowledge that they knew where they were spiritually. Where are you? Um, I'm in rebellion. I'm over here in fig leaves. I'm away from God. So he said, I heard your voice. Just the voice of God is convicting. The voice of God is powerful. We, when we enter into the presence of God, we enter into the voice. And the voice is coming at us from every angle. 
And it's telling us something. And many times when, when we enter into the presence and the voice is talking to us from every angle, we, we feel so inspired and motivated to be different or to be better. But if we're not careful, if we don't seize that moment, the enemy will steal that from us and it will just feel like inspiration without an application. So you have to take that inspiration in that moment because remember, the Spirit of God, it says that he speaks in a still, small voice. And when he speaks... You don't want to push him away. Holy Spirit said to be like a dove, right? Dove is like innocent, very flighty in terms of they get nervous very easily. Imagine the Holy Spirit is coming to land on you, to bless you in his presence, and what you do is you're, you're finding your way to dodge the Holy Spirit, or worse yet, you're slapping the Holy Spirit away. That's called grieving the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you hold the Holy Spirit and you hold the wings down. That's called uh, quenching the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit wants to be free to move in your life. Holy Spirit in Scripture is always moving. He's never static. He's always moving. He's doing something. What's he doing? He's rearranging the interior of your life. Isn't that exciting? You know, people hire designers because they don't know how to design their house. Well, the Holy Spirit says this... Open the door. I can do all kinds of cool stuff in your heart if you let me. So notice what he said. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. You see, there's a difference between godly sorrow and guilt. Now, there's a big application coming here. I want you really to listen to this because most people in life are going to fall prey to things like guilt and shame and fear. It's part of the human condition. You see, guilt and shame originates from Satan and is designed to destroy you. It tells you that you are no good, hopeless, and worthless. It drives you from God rather than to God. Now, I'm going to say that again because I think it's really powerful that you get this under your heart. Guilt and shame originates from Satan and is designed to destroy you. It tells you that you are no good, hopeless, and worthless. It drives you from God rather than to God. So guilt, what is guilt? Is feelings of distress and failure. It robs you of energy and steals your joy. See, God doesn't bring guilt into our life. He brings conviction into our life, and that's different. Guilt, I, ne I have no way out. I'm just guilty, and the only thing I can do is make somebody else feel guilty. It's a gift that keeps on giving, guilt, right? But conviction is, God says, this is wrong, now turn. And I go, okay, I turn. Now all that's gone because it's conviction, not guilt. Shame is another one. You ever seen someone that just was shamed? It happens in schools all the time. People, kids make fun of other kids, and they shame them. You're not tall enough. You know, you're too short. You're too heavy. You're not smart. You're not athletic. You're not beautiful. And shame comes in, and this shame has been just accelerated by social media now, hasn't it? And so now shame becomes something that you can't be content just to be where you are. Now worldwide people want to shame you. This is a work of the enemy. This is how he accelerates the evil in the last days. So shame says you're worthless, specializes in humiliation, 
and exclusion. I'm excluding you. You're shamed. If that, if that goes on in your life, if it's going on in your life now, just reject it right now. Guilt and shame originate from Satan, not from God. If you have friends that are making you feel guilty and shameful, reject it. When David had sinned against the Lord and he said, do you want the people to judge you or do you want me to judge you? And you know what David said? I'd rather have you judge me because even your, your, your worst stuff, I mean, their worst uh, activity against man is better than your worst, is worse than your worst. So the idea is that if God is more merciful than man. Think about how many times in your life growing up or in your present reality, that you have felt crushed by another human being. And how long it stays with you. And you play those tapes over and over in your head. I'm playing that tape. Well, you know, my mom said I wasn't smart. I guess I'm not smart. My teacher said, you can't do that. You're not smart enough to do that. And you live with that your whole life. And you play out these tapes your whole life when you should be giving those up. You have to cast those away from you. You have to put the cross in front of you. And you have to ask for the blood of Christ to cleanse you. And every time it slips back in, you have to go through that process one more time. Because guess what? You're not perfect. You won't be perfect. Some of the things you battle with today, you will battle with your whole life. That doesn't mean you don't get victory. Your victory is daily. Not permanent until Jesus comes back. It's okay. We are imperfect people. That's why the body of Christ is so important. Because we're supposed to, you know, it says if, you, if a brethren is caught in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, looking unto yourself, lest you also be tempted. That's, and thus fulfilling the royal law of God. This is what the body of Christ is about. It's not by creating, you know, like we got the super, super spiritual people and they sit in one area, we got the others over here, and then, you know, everybody kind of gets categorized. We were in uh, uh, Romania back in, uh, gosh, I don't know, maybe 1990, right after Ceausescu was uh, taken care of and the Berlin Wall fell, and we went into this ancient church in Transylvania. And they had a, it was all wooden, it was gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. In the front, they had a set of stocks. And I go, what's that? You know, stocks, like you put your head and your hands in, the medieval thing kind of deal? And I go, they go, what's that? And so that was church discipline back in the day. So if you were bad, they put you in the stocks during the service so everyone could look at you and see how bad you were. Now, that does two things. Number one, I ain't going to do it again, and I ain't going back to church. <laughs> Amen? But is that really different than the shaming we do to other brothers and sisters in Christ? Is it really different? It's just a physical picture of what we do in the emotional, mental, and spiritual world of people we are around all the time. Blame is shifting responsibility to another one. You know, what happens in the story here is, you know, Adam says, you know, it's that woman you gave me. You know, she's the one that did it. So blame, blame game, right? You ever do that? You get in trouble at work, you go home, you yell at your wife, wife yells at the kids, kids kick the dog. <laughs> we just keep this, the, the, gotta keep this cycle going. 
Well, the dog's going, I'm out of here, you know. Get a cat, I'm leaving. Fear is another one. You see, fear is a spirit. It's an emotion, but it really is a spirit, an evil spirit, because it says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So if you don't operate in fear, you love in power. You're operating in power, love, and a sound mind. Your mind works right. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 7.10. Godly sorrow produces repentance. Leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. I'm sorry. You see, saying you're sorry doesn't mean you'll never do it again. Saying you're sorry is I recognize that God holds the standard and I want to yield myself to the standard of God. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to maybe forgive us our sins. What's it say? Let me try it again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to maybe forgive our sins. What's it say? Just to forgive our sins. And and he will forgive our sins in two weeks. What's it say? He will forgive your sins. When? The moment you confess. Have you ever noticed how you go back to God and you confess the same sin over and over again? You know what you're doing? You're trampling underfoot the blood of Christ. You're saying the blood of Christ was not sufficient the first time when I asked forgiveness and cleansing. That comes from the enemy. He's trying to convince you that the blood is not sufficient. Hebrews warns about that, trampling underfoot the blood of the covenant. He says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from some of our righteousness. All of our, all of our unrighteousness. You mean everything? Yeah. You mean even that hidden stuff? Yeah. All. All is all. That's what I learned in school. Now, it may be different today, but all is all. What about the voice you're listening to? Genesis 3 11 through 13. And he said, who told you that you were naked? I'm just curious. Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. The Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. Beguile is a funny word. It's an interesting word. Beguilement is to to raise uh, up an emotion, an unrighteous emotion that cannot be righteously fulfilled. This happens in dating. I'm going to start prying a little bit now. You bring up an emotion that cannot be righteously fulfilled in the context of dating. That's beguilement. It's a work of the enemy. You know, there are a thousand voices seeking your attention every single day, aren't there? They're just screaming, listen to me, listen to me. But there's only one voice that matters in your life. Isaiah heard the voice of God in the temple, and instantly he was transported into the spiritual realm and to see the majesty of Almighty God surrounded by heavenly beings who were crying day and night, holy, holy, holy. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. 
Why, even Lazarus, when he was dead, he heard the voice of the Lord when Jesus called him from the grave. And then in John 5, it says, the hour is coming now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. And then Jesus said this in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. Are you hearing the voice of God today? Don't think it has to be audible. It does not. It can be a gentle nudge saying that was for you or that was for you or that was from you. Now what will you do with it? Will you just respond, yes, God, I'm going to yield to that. I'm going to I'm going to listen to that. I'm going to follow you. Or are you going to say, you know, that's for another time. Let me put that off and think about it. If God inspires you, if God speaks to you, remember the word inspiration means God breathed. It's not a secular word. It's, a, it's actually a biblical word. Literally, God breathed. The inspiration you get is God breathed. What will you do with the God breathed word that God gave you today? Would you stand with me right now? And I want us to pray. God, we've... We've talked about your voice. Now we want to hear your voice. A voice that comes from every direction. A voice that speaks loud. A a voice that speaks clear. What is God saying to you? Here's what I want you to pray. Just pray this out loud. It's very simple, very easy. God, out loud. Let's try it again. God, speak to me. Now just wait. Just rest in that for a moment. God, speak to me. Now, what is God saying to you right now? Try to capture the first thing that comes to your mind. What is God saying to you? He might say you're loved. He might say you're, you can put away your guilt. He might say you're valuable. He might say you need to change. But think what God has said to you right now. Heavenly Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that every word that's spoken, that's dropped in the hearts and the minds right now will become a powerful, life-changing experience, transformational in all ways, that you might receive the glory and the honor. God, let us be encompassed by the voice of your presence. May your presence fill this house in such a way that we, we have an awareness of you to a greater degree than we ever have that we're conscious of you in this place and that we drown out every other voice in our life right now. Every other voice in our life is drowned out. The greatest miracle of God is when someone believes on the Lord Jesus Christ to hear his voice. If you heard his voice today and you said, you know, I don't know if I'm a Christian, but I'd like to become one, then pray this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross that you were buried and rose from the dead to give me eternal life. Come into my heart, Jesus, and save me right now. Listen to that voice that says, yes, my child, I save you right now in this moment. I save you right now in this moment. Was that your prayer? Did you pray that prayer? Did you ask God? Just raise your hand up and say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer today, and I, I, I came into the fellowship of God today. Amen? Amen. Anyone else? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Anyone else? God bless you. 